afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to episode three of Damn You Football. The um, Premier League season is upon us, and uh, we've had the first weekend uh, match day one, which will go through some of that and what happened there, and some thoughts and some kind of machinations over that opening weekend of football uh, and looking forward to what we can expect to get from it etc i'm also going to do a little bit of kind of like transfer chat but not really as in-depth as we've done before just a little bit of my reflections on the whole Neymar deal and also i'm going to cover my reflections on what the um the Coutinho um, saga that's developing at Liverpool Football Club uh, means to Liverpool, uh, means to Liverpool fans, means to, uh, I think, the Premier League as a whole and kind of what this summer of unique spending, um, how that's kind of come about and where I personally think that will go. Uh, I'm also going to do a quick, well, not quick, I don't know, might quick, might not be, who knows. Uh, I'm going to do a rundown of my thoughts on this year's Premier League kits. Yes, a few people have asked... Um, for this, and I always enjoy kind of looking at them and kind of giving my thoughts on them, pros, cons, um, whether or not people look stupid or which ones I like. Uh, I'm shooting the Premier League for now. Uh, as we get into the European seasons, and I will chat a little bit of European football. Uh, I might do a rundown of the best kits uh, in Europe um, because there's usually some quite fun ones out there as well. Um, so, um, without further ado, I think we should kind of delve into it um, because. Football is back, back with a, a, a bang, and the Premier League opened for the first time ever on a on a Friday. Um, and what I will say before I kind of get into each game, um, just for clarification purposes, um, I only actually watched four of the games in their entirety, um, and the rest of them I watched uh, the extended highlights uh, on Sky, the match choice thing you get, where you get essentially 50 minutes of each game so I've watched those I watched the Arsenal game I watched the Liverpool game and I also watched the Newcastle Tottenham game and I also watched the Manchester United West Ham game so they were the four games that I watched in their entirety as well as like I say watching the, the 50 minutes um Highlights. I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't watch the Swansea and um, Southampton highlights. I watched just the general kind of um, five or six minute highlights because it was a nil nil, and I'm not watching fifty minutes of a nil nil game between two teams who are chronically uh, mid table. So there, there was that. So there's kind of like my full clarification there. Um, other things to, um, to kind of discuss. Um, I, I personally feel that the opening day of the season is um, the least. It is the Weirdly, I think it's one of the most important, least important fixtures in football, in a sense where it's it, it's woefully unimportant because you cannot use it as a barometer at the time for kind of um, for whether or not a team's done well or not. So, I mean, for instance, you can take um, Huddersfield's results, which I'll talk about in a little more detail when I get to it. Essentially, um, you know, they they won three 0 away from home in their opening game. You know, in the top flight. Um, and then you can take that and say, well, you know, there, that's an amazing result. And it, it is, but Huddersfield, it might be the last great result they have. They might go a really good run. They might make a really good crack at the Premier League. Um, and then also, you you know, you can take something like, um, there we go, for instance, Liverpool's 3-3 um, draw with Watford. Now, an away draw is always a decent result. You know, it's a point away from home. is is always okay. Now, Watford could end up finishing... Seventh or eighth this season, they could have an amazing season, and you could look back at that and go, "Just what? That's a good point." At counterpoint to that, Watford could get relegated, and you could look back at that and go, "What the shit?" Um, so, but I'll get more into my actual thoughts th thoroughly on that game as we go in. But we'll start with uh, the opening game: um, Arsenal versus Leicester. The the four three uh, that occurred there. A, a, another barnstorming uh, opening game. Last season's opening game was Liverpool um, at. Uh, Arsenal and that was a 4-3 again that was another again another sort of bristling um, home game uh, for Arsenal where they, they actually got defeated that time this time they managed to put it back and win they opened very well actually did, did Arsenal um, scoring from a, um, a Lacazette goal which was a, you know, a good finish it's a good kind of it's a good boost for those to have that, uh, that that opening sort of goal within the first few minutes but then they quickly Kind of went back to the arsenal that's um, that we, that's been thrown at them. They, this this fragility they've got, and this ability to kind of when, when a team goes at them, they they kind of go at their shells, and it's it's something that the arsenal seems very quick to kind of come out and say, well, you know, we've shown great resilience, which they did show fantastic resilience against Leicester. You know, to be uh, two one down, and then to be to bring it back to two two, and then to go three two down, but then to bring it back and get a win shows amazing resilience. But the problem is. Resilience gets you to a certain position in the Premier League. It, it doesn't win you it. 
resilient. It just it doesn't. You know, teams teams win titles. You know, they they don't they don't get for all intents and purposes uh, lucky wins against Leicester at home. But then again, it's the opening day of the season, and, and we've got to take that into consideration. Uh, personally, if I was a an Arsenal fan, I'd be worried more worried about the fact that they conceded some quite easy goals against Leicester and they didn't seem to control the game. Um, Counterpoint to that is they, they scored some quite easy goals, but I do think Leicester will be a very, very easy team to score goals against this season. I don't think they have a a strong a, a strong squad. They've got clinical finishers. Uh, Vardy, is, his movement is fantastic, etc. Um, and they've also brought in Inanaccio, which I think is a great signing from, um, from Manchester City because... His actual minutes to goals ratio is, is is quite incredible. So I'm interested. I've actually got him in my fantasy team. So I'm interested to see uh, when he gets on the pitch how how he can translate that. Now, obviously, there's a big difference between scoring goals for Manchester City when you've got those kind of created forces to Leicester. Uh, so there is that to consider. Also, I don't think Leicester are going to keep on down Drinkwater. I think he could end up at Chelsea. I think that will intensify. Arsenal tend to. They tend to have their business sorted. I think what will happen is that Arsenal's business might be a couple more ins if they have some unexpected or kind of maybe even expected outs. Uh, it would seem that Ozil is on Barcelona's radar, but I do think that that is um, possibly Ozil's people actually using it to kind of kind of get Arsenal to, to up that offer that little bit. Uh, there, so a uh, four-three for Leicester. The Arsenal with Leicester. It's it's gonna um, abate the the Wenger out brigade ever so slightly, but it, it still seems like it's going to be a unless they go on a very good run and they they kind of they cement themselves early on within that uh, that top four parameters there, and you know they they. Very quickly by sort of October, November, they look like that's it. They're going to they're going to be one of the four. I think it is going to be a topsy turvy season for Arsenal. I think him leaving it that late to announce that he's staying and to kind of, I think the way it was dealt with was almost like I don't think he was ever going to leave. I think nobody ever thought he was going to leave, um, and it was it, it feels. I think it's crazy in the sense that I don't know what. Arsenal fans want, they seem to not want, or some of them anyway, seem to not want Wenger, but there isn't um, a, a viable well, that guy um, to come in, I know a lot of people have shouted um, Diego Simeone, but Arsenal fans wouldn't like Diego Simeone's football that, that's just a given um, or even looking at bringing someone like Thomas Tuchel uh, in there, but of course, you know, there's weird things happening with him leaving, leaving Dortmund Um Leicester, I think, are going to finish mid-table. I think they've got a decent enough squad to finish mid-table. Um, I, I just don't see it with Craig Shakespeare. I think they're still riding the high of Craig Shakespeare not being Claudio Ranieri. Um, so that there, there is that. Um, moving into Saturday's action, um, Watford 3, Liverpool 3. Uh, yeah, familiar problems for Liverpool in terms of uh, being unable to... Uh, to, to Defend set pieces. That was that was it. We were undone by two set pieces, uh, and the the sheer physicality of Watford. Now, the the idea is uh, often sort of thrown at at um, certain teams. Liverpool are one of them, and I know that um, Manchester City sometimes get this. And because Liverpool play a uh, or, or are perceived to play um, a flowing attacking football, it's perceived that they're on light touch. Well, actually, you know, you've got in the midfield, you've got players like um, Emre Chan was there. He's a, he, Emre Chan's a unit, there's no way of getting around it. Uh, and Junior Wijnaldum is, is not slight of build or anything like that. So, But the, the size of Watford was, was incredible. They're a, they're a hell of a unit of a team. Uh, and it seems like Marco Silva has kind of picked up a little bit where he left off. And this is a manager, I think, has lost... I think it's six or eight games in his, his actual managerial career at home. He will be looking to make the um, look at Vickers uh, Park a, a, a very tough place for teams to go, and it would seem from the way that Liverpool played in the first half that he's going to achieve that. Um, three three is probably a fair reflection of the game, to be honest. Watford were were very much on top in the first half, and Liverpool couldn't get a a hand on it, and it did seem that. Um, I don't think it's as much the Coutinho stuff that, that rattled them, although I think that must have been in their heads. I think it's as much the fact that uh, that it's it, the summer hasn't quite gone the way that, it, that Liverpool fans would have hoped. And I think that Liverpool 
um, coaching staff would have hoped, you know, top targets haven't been brought in. Uh, the squad itself is is thin. Uh, there's, there's no denying that. I, I don't think it's aided by the fact that um, Liverpool technically they're, they're not actually in the Champions League yet. They're in the Champions League qualifiers. They've got to play Hoffenheim on Tuesday of uh, this week and um, of Wednesday of next week. So there is there is that to consider. Um, maybe that's holding things ever so slightly in the transfer market I don't think so being honest but I think that that could be used as an excuse if they do well and purchase people um, going forward I'll talk about the Coutinho thing in further detail after I've gone through this week's games uh, and give kind of my views on, on that but once therefore we're flowing and we're, we're on we're kind of in their groove they, they were magnificent again Firmino came into the game and they looked really strong in that sense um, I saw the the argument from uh, um, or between uh, Jamie Carragher and Jim Redknapp, uh, where um, Jim Redknapp was arguing that, that someone like Van Dyke in there would um, would give that that dominance that maybe isn't there, and Carragher arguing that it's not the dominance that the problem is, it's the positioning and the the fact that um, there's a lack of kind of organisation within that. And I think that actually they're both arguing the same point. I think they're both right. I think that um, that, that more commanding presence. These balls are not being fired over, they've been fired in um, and there seems to be a lack of attacking presence coming out towards it. And also, well, it does seem to be second balls that, that Liverpool seem to struggle on. Um, there is the point of the fact is that the, the, um, the third goal it, it is, it is offside, there's no getting away from it. But it's a tricky offside to spot is what I'd say and you can't... It's not a, a crying injustice, you know, Liverpool... A, there's a free kick before it, Liverpool should defend better. Uh, and B, you shouldn't be in that position at that that time of the game. Liverpool could have put that game to bed and been 4-2 up a couple of times. Um, but, you know, wasteful uh, attacking um, play led to that. Uh, it, it should never have been that. Uh, now, what I'd say there is a 3-3 a draw against Watford in the middle of October or in the middle of March when you're, you have top four or even to an extent title aspirations I think is a bad result. I think a 3-3 away at Watford on the opening day of the season isn't, isn't a terrible result. Um, and the reason why I can say I don't think it's a terrible result is because the next game that I'm going to talk about, um, Chelsea 2, Burnley 3. There you go, Chelsea last season's champions. And Chelsea actually had a bad start to last season uh, and then went on to win it, aided by a 14-game winning streak within the middle of that season, that, that, that last season that really helped them kind of gather up those points and gather up that momentum. And beyond that, they were essentially, all they had to do was just kind of really just coast to, to that title, which was what they did. And there's, there's no there's no kind of shame in that. Now, Chelsea have quietly spent quite a lot of money, actually, um, but they don't seem to have actually core strengthened um, that actual team um, they've bolstered the squad a little bit but the actual 1-11 to, one to 11 or even 1-14 to 14, you could argue because it, it is a squad game and um, it's it's not just about having the best 1-11 to 11 now it's about you have a team who can have the best 1-11 to 11. Uh, for instance I think that Tottenham have the best 1-11 to 11 in the Premier League uh, uh, but Chelsea last season had a better 1-14 to 14. If you go into a one to eighteen, uh, Manchester City had a better one to eighteen, and then if you go into a two one to twenty two, then it, it, it broadens out there, and it's those places that, that kind of that, that dictate, I think, where you finish. It's not it's not who is your best starting team, or even who's your best bench. It's who your best starting eleven is, and your best bench is if you've got two or three players out. Um, and what Chelsea showed is that that they're there once you get past their fourteen, it, there's. A lack of depth there. Um, getting uh, your new captain leader, new legend, um, sent off in the first 15 minutes doesn't help. I think it was harsh, to be honest, Kale sent it off. I think that you know, I look back on it and it's it's a lunge and it's not a nice lunge, but it's there's, there's no malice in it. It's not an attack. The, the player wasn't badly hurt or anything. I think maybe you could look at that and say it's exuberance and rustiness and maybe, let's like say weirdly middle of November middle of December yes you can give a red card for that I think opening day of the season it was harsh I do actually think that Cesar Abagasis later on in the game was, was perfectly justified um, but then they, they capitulated after that and allowed Burnley to, to take advantage which they, they did duly did I think it was 
Tweeno was very flattering for, for Burnley. They didn't really have to... They played well, but they didn't actually have to work that hard to go 3-0. Um, it's in a similar way to the um, to the Liverpool uh, results there. Uh, and Liverpool's is horrible because as a Liverpool fan, it's a draw that feels like a defeat. They're the worst type of draws you can get. Uh, what it what it will do is it, it adds further fuel to the fire of fans saying we need to strengthen, we need more depth, we need this, we need this. Now, Chelsea have spent over a hundred million, Liverpool have spent less than fifty. Um, but what it, it is doing is it's showing uh, the managers. It's let's say Liverpool beat Watford three um, two, and then um, Chelsea beat Burnley four one. And then Liverpool beat Hoffenheim and anything like that. You can kind of then look at it as a coach or as a fan or etc. And say, well, do you know what? Maybe we do have enough here uh, for these extra challenges. Maybe we do have enough there. When the actual reality is that neither team, I don't think, does have enough um, for the extra added um, challenge of Champions League football, etc. So it will be kind of interesting to see what happens in the next sort of 10 to 15 days um, at both Liverpool and Chelsea. But all power to Burnley, it's an away win that they probably never thought they would get this season. And that's what, that's what for clubs like Burnley, who, whose chief kind of aim this season will be survival. It, that, those are the kind of results that, that leave you um, lift you from place 17 to place 14 which is worth millions nowadays um, so there is there is that so it's, a, it's like a result there um, Crystal Palace nil Huddersfield 3 um, Frank De Boer's debut as as Crystal Palace manager and they were woeful they were they were, they were awful abject they seem to have no organisation they seem to be treating it almost like a, a pre-season friendly uh, and Huddersfield came out of the traps really wanting to kind of lay down a marker to say, yeah, you know what, we might not be ready. We might not be uh, have the, the the infrastructure or the even the name or the story or anything to, to, to kind of to carry this over. Like, for instance, a Newcastle coming up. Newcastle, no matter what you say, they're, they're a, 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 big, a big name, a two-big name that be in the Championship. Of Brighton that have been building towards getting into the Premier League with the Amex Stadium and the, the the infrastructure they've got there. They've been building for this for a good five or six years, and they should have got in a couple of years ago. Huddersfield have, have got a, a good manager and have kind of ridden the crest of a wave into that, and they didn't expect to get there, uh, but they're going to damn well enjoy it, and they're going to see if they can do a thing that not a lot of clubs have, have done, where they can go right. Well, we're here now. Let's let's make a good fist of it, but let's not. Let's not mortgage the club's future. But at the same time, let's see if we can survive. And then survive another year and then build from there. And it'll be very interesting to see how how it goes. Um, the key point, I think, for that is keeping uh, David Wagner there. Um, because he's, like a lot of teams nowadays, you know, the Premier League um, has a bit of a dearth of, of, of world-class players um, in its ranks at the moment. But what we do have is we have box office managers and we have incredible managers in people like, uh, for instance, Guardiola, Conte, Mourinho, Klopp. We have the, the managerial names uh, and Ben are obviously there as well. Uh, the, so we have a lot of teams where the stars of the, the, the team are the, the managers. And I think Wagner there is his footballing um, ethos, mouse uh, knowledge and the way that he views football up there. It could be very interesting to see how that goes. Of course, very close friends with with um, Jurgen Klopp, um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens when those two worlds collide. Um, then moving back on um, to Everton, one Stoke City nil. Uh, Rooney written in the stars. That wasn't it. Rooney going back to uh, the club that he left thirteen years ago and that have spent thirteen years booing him and calling him a traitorous bastard for him to then score and act like the king has returned. Well, yes, he has because yeah, nowhere else go. Um, so Everton, yeah, um, Everton have, have, have done some some sturdy business in the transfer window. There's no getting away from it, and they they are without a doubt they are the they're very much the seventh best club in in the Premier League. Uh, they're you know they're they're outside of that of that six that have aspirations for Champions League players so are winning it. Everton would like to be part of that, would see themselves as part of that, and that's that's perfectly fine. And all it, but it would take sixth, fifth, and fourth. So it would take three 
out of those six teams, it would take three out of Chelsea, Spurs, Manchester City, Liverpool, Man United and Arsenal. It would take three out of those to have very poor seasons and Everton to have a very good season for Everton to break in that top four. And that is a really tough ask. But at least they're giving it a go and at least that they're looking at it and saying, do you know what? That's what we're looking at. We're looking at breaking that. We want to be considered that. We want it to be the top. We want it to be seven clubs fighting for it, not six. And so you can't blame that. Stoke went a bit of a rocky, I think, um, a bit of a rocky summer in the sense that they lost Mark Wijnaldum. Um, they're in, you know, Kurt Zuma loan. They're looking at bringing uh, Jesse Rodriguez in, the uh, former Real Madrid player who was at PSG last season. They're looking at bringing him in on loan or even a permanent deal. And it, it does seem like the I don't think the wheels have come off that project that Mark Hughes has got there or the the, the the whole thing there. But it does seem a little bit like the train's been left at the station as everyone's starting to whiz by, maybe. So. It's. I do think Stoke could do more business in the um in the in the next couple of weeks, and I think they are a club that does their business late on because they go out and see maybe players who thought they were going to get bigger moves and have not got them. Stoke will then go out and look for those players and go, well, hang on a minute, you might not get that, but if you come play here for a couple of years and showcase yourself, one of these clubs around here and one of these clubs around Europe might want to take you off their hands. So that's what I think will happen there. Southampton against Swansea, it, there's always one dull as balls game and that was that dull as balls game. Um, Southampton had a lot of chances, um, peppered uh, Swansea's goal, but Swansea, they look like a more resilient team. Uh, I still think they'll be in and around the, a relegation fight, but I think they they should be okay. Um, losing all the possible uh Loss of uh, of Gilly Sigurdsson to Everton, um, that's going to impact on them because uh, of of what he brings there. Uh, however, what he does bring is um, great delivery from set pieces, um, but in terms of uh, general movement, he's he's not the most dynamic of players. I, I think Gilly Sigurdsson is a fantastic player. I, I really do. I really rate him quite highly. I've read him since he was at Reading. Uh, where I remember Reading played Liverpool in a um, in a League Cup game, and uh, he was fantastic. Gilby Sigurdsson, Bucky Sigurdsson, and I think Shane Long actually scored the goals at not start of that game. But I remember Gilby Sigurdsson thinking if he's available and we could get hold of him. Um, I think he went to did he go to Hoffenheim or Werder Bremen? I think he went to. Um, or Wolfsburg it might have even be one of the German teams anyway uh, he went there for about five and a half million I couldn't believe that no Premier League took, took a chance on him uh, and then obviously he came back to Spurs etc and it ended up at Swansea um, so or he went to Swansea and then to Spurs and then went back to Swansea that was it so that's going to happen there but it was always going to be the, there's always going to be one of those dull games um, and then another dull game uh, West Brom against uh, Bournemouth um, it's a typical that felt like the most Standard game. That's a very result you could expect there. West Brom getting a, a, a solid win at home, and uh, Bournemouth. You know they've got Eddie Howe has a very a set way he wants to play, and he wants to play what I'm doing the invert commas thing of, of of real football. Every team's entitled to play the way that they want to play. Um, so I, I kind of I don't or proper football. I suppose the phrase I, I don't like the phrase proper football. I think it's you know. There are a lot of ways to win a football match. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the dark arts, but Tony Pulis has a style, uh, and it's got him very far. It's yard dog uh, to the extreme, and it's alehouse football. But if if you're going to come up against that, you've got to have a plan for playing against it. Much in the same ways, if you're coming up against um, a low block um, like. West Brom play or if you're playing a high line like um, Bournemouth play then you've got to have you know plans for that it's all about the tactics in the same way as Watford actually play quite well on, on Liverpool's tactics Liverpool play with a high with um, quite a, a high line and they they split the, the, the um, centre backs the wingers the um, full backs almost act as wingers and you need a centre back split and your defensive midfielder drops in to create almost like the um Almost pulls into uh, a, a Liberto um, position where it's the position often that Franco Baresi used to play for uh, AC Milan, where he'd drop in and he'd play, or he'd actually he'd actually drop out of the um, the, the Milan um, defence and come forward and sit just in front of it there. Um, and so Watford played on that by 
essentially going out to the wings and attacking that the positions. You've got to these are the things you've got to do to to tactically break these teams down. And if you want to tactically break a two of the purest team down, you have to do different to what Bournemouth did, um, which is they tried to they tried too much to play their own game. Now, if you're a Barcelona, a Bayern Munich, a Juventus, you can play your own game against anybody. Bournemouth haven't earned the right or won the right yet to play their own game. They do have to switch it up a little bit, and I think that maybe that that that's the early kind of exuberance of the first game of the season. I have a feeling that that's played again. I'm saying this a lot in October or in February. I think that's maybe a different result. It's a harder game for West Brom. Uh, much the same as you've got Brighton home Albion against uh, Manchester City. Uh, Brighton actually have been building it, been the Premier League for a number of years. They've got a great stadium in the Amex. Uh, it's a it seems like a place that that a lot of top Premier League fans want um, to have in the Premier League because it's a good away trip I mean you swap there you've swapped an away weekend in Hull no offence to people from Hull uh, but an away weekend in Hull to an away weekend in Brighton I know where most people are going to want to go. Uh, Man City with, a, a, again, a, what felt like a fairly sort of standard win. Um, they didn't have to host a gut to get it. Aguero gets his goal. Uh, new players bedded in, but not really a challenge. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I've Manchester City. I remember sort of five, six games at last season. People were saying, you know, well, who's going to beat them? How are they going to get beat? And then, you know... People started to figure out how to play against um, the, this Guardiola side, and so it's it seems like what well, an amazing thing of what's happened is um, Man City have brought in what is arguably um, the best coach in the, the world at the moment, uh, and he's come in and said, you know, I'm, I'll give you the best team in the world if you go out and buy me the two best players for each position. Um, I, I'm, you know, I, I. I that isn't a theory that I've put myself over. I've read that somewhere. I can't remember where I read it. But it's true. Um, you know, he's they've gone out and they've bought two right backs, two left backs. They've bought uh, they've bought it's, it's staggering um, the amount they've spent, you know, and they, they I don't think they're done. I think they'll 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 still spend more before the end of the transfer window. Uh, and it, it's kind of like they have to this season win the Premier League or the Champions League. Or even both, um, to be honest, for it to be deemed anywhere near a, a, a successful investment. And I think last season questions weren't asked, and even Guardiola acknowledged himself. If, if if he'd have had the season he had last season at Barcelona or Bayern Munich, he'd have been sacked. Now, and he can't finish third this season. He can either finish second and win the Champions League, or finish first and maybe get to the final of the Champions League. It's a tall ask, but they've spent an awful lot of money. Uh, and there's an awful lot of talent there, but is there? Is it the right balance of talent? Is what I would say there. I think it's going to be an interesting season for Manchester City, in the sense of do some of those players have the the cutting edge? Um, that uh, and I'm fucking I can't remember says, but I I just I've never seen from this Manchester City team. Um, over the past five or six years and that includes title winning Manchester City teams and teams that have got to very far in the Champions League I've never seen that sheer belligerence towards winning um, and that sheer we're doing this at absolutely all costs that you used to see from for instance a um, Alex Ferguson Manchester United team that it's almost it's an expectance, not an arrogance of we're going to win because we're the best. It's we're going to win because it's what we do. And that's what you used to get from, from Fergie's at Manchester United. It's why he used to say to them after they won something, right, enjoy this because it starts again. You've got this weekend, you've got tonight or this weekend, you've got the next few days. But then after that, it's forgotten about. It's about winning it next year, and that's when it starts. And I think that Manchester City, there's players there that feel like they've arrived when they've got to Manchester City, rather than they've been given the chance to prove that they've arrived. Um, so that was that's Saturdays, Sundays. Newcastle against Tottenham. Um, Tottenham was slightly on top, and then it kind of all changed when 
Shelby did his his silly little stamp that he did. Shelby's got that in his locker. Um, you know, several people have worked in. I think Alan Pard, you said it during uh, his punditry work for Sky, and that you know when he managed Shelby, you know he said he's got that he's got that in him. And this uh, Jimmy Carragher saying that he was like it in training. He's got that. He's got a short fuse, and it comes on very very quickly. Um, I think that John Joe Shelby, I think could be a fantastic player. I think he genuinely could be a dominating midfielder I just think his his mentality isn't quite there and it was proved that you know he's, he's been given the captaincy at Newcastle and straight away he's done something that stupid um, Spurs picked up with the left off last season they look like a like a force they're a superb team to watch they play great football they've got great understanding they are um, the absolute sum of all their parts and it's I, I'll be honest I was I was gutted for um, Harry Kane when he, he, he hit the post because he, he needs to get a goal in August because it's becoming a thing now that he doesn't score goals in August and he's a he's too good a player to have that hanging over him. Um, so yeah, Spurs got a good win in what was a a potentially difficult place to, to kind of go on the opening day of the season but they proved very much like, do you know what, we might not have done any business but it's very hard to... There are, it's, a, it's a strangely, it's a hard sell getting players in at Tottenham because Daniel Levy and Tottenham are not going to spend the money to um, to get players in that's going to better that 11. But are players going to go there knowing that they're, that they're going to have to fight to get into that 11 because it's such a strong 11? Uh, so you're all, then you're looking at buying players who could be in the 11 in a couple of years' time. And even there, you're looking at spending. Um, for instance, they need a striker. They, you know, Janssen didn't work. Um, Son debutised quite well, but I think he's better used out towards the the left. Uh, so they need a striker to play in that position when Harry Kane misses three or four games. So he, he, he has appeared when he'll miss a few weeks. He, he's got that in his in his locker. So they need a striker in there. Now, usually they'd take a chance on somebody, uh, Josh King, for instance, um, the Bournemouth player there. But um, Josh King now will cost thirty million. A few, you know, a year ago, it would cost fifteen million. Uh, the same as a a player from Spain. You, you know, you're bringing in, you're taking that chance. You know, that you look at there. Perez that, that Arsenal brought in, they brought him for twenty million. They're now trying to get twenty million back for him. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, I'm moving on to Manchester United for West Ham nil. West Ham here playing Manchester United. Um, I watched this whole game. Uh, Manchester United were very good, very good. Um, they they looked they're looking more and more like a um, a textbook Mourinho team. They're big, they're powerful, they're aggressive. Um, they they do those things well. Uh, and as good as Manchester United were, and they were very good. Um, West Ham were abysmal. Uh, they're a, a, a quite frankly terrible team. They've spent money this summer. They've brought in what was perceived to be big name players, but they've not strengthened that woeful defence that they've got. And it's a player like um, bringing in um, Chigarito there. He's, he needs the service to get the goals now. Marko Nautovic, bringing him in for 25 million, essentially what you've done is you've brought in a smart price, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That, that's what Marko Nautovic is. Um, he's going to get you maybe six to eight goals a season, and of those six to eight goals, four of them might be absolutely world class goals. But he doesn't do it 35 out of 38 games, he does it eight. Out of 35 games, and then you'll get five will give you decent performances, but they loses the ball a lot. Um, I, I think West Ham it could be it could be a worrying season for them. Um, so, ooh, yeah, it's uh, Manchester United were very very good. Don't want to take away, but uh, West Ham were very very poor. Uh, my team of the week, and we do this every week. My team of the week, Huddersfield, three uh, 0 uh, away from home, first game in the Premier League. I don't think you can take that away from them. That's that's a cover result. What Huddersfield will be looking at is that that magic sort of forty point marker, uh, and that's that's 
that's three points towards it um, already straight away. Oh, that's three points away from home. Uh, my player of the week, I'm also going to do a player of the week every week, uh, Robert Lukaku, uh, two goals on his um, his first league game for Manchester United. He's going to, he's, you know, he's a shoe in for uh, the top scorer. Um, a great thing that, that United have got in Lukaku is he's, he's, he's had, I'm, I'm, hope, I'm kind of, I am fucking jinxing, I'm not like to say I'm hoping I'm not jinxing him. Um, is he does, he very much does play pretty much week in, week out, and he, he will score pretty much week in, week out um, for, for Manchester United. And as long as they play to his strengths, um, then then they'll, they'll be they'll be a okay with with that. Uh, it will be interesting to see actually what a a more uh, heavy fixture schedule um, what that impact that has on uh, on Lukaku and, and that that tremendous kind of uh, resilience he has for playing games. Um, so that will be interesting to see what happens there. But United have got a really strong squad uh, this season and they're going to be uh, they're going to be up there challenging for for the title without without question and. It, if the Mourinho's bought smart uh, this season, I still think there's, um, I still think that there's room for improvement from them. I still think defensively they look a little bit laxed. You know, Lindelof didn't play, and they bought him for thirty odd million, and he wasn't even in the squad. Um, so you're relying on players like Jones to um, to bear fruit, and I, I just don't think they've got it in them. Jones is the sort of player he might go on a run of five games and look fantastic, but then. He's got a rick in him. That's that's the thing. That's why, that's why he's United have spent fifty odd million in two seasons on on centre backs so far. They might spend more. It's because um, quite simply, Jones and Smalling are mid table to up mid table Premier League defenders. You know they've been saved by De Gea quite a lot. Um, going forward, United are frightening this season. You know that that forward line of um, Lukaku, Mata, uh, Mkhitaryan in there, and Pogba. Having Matic in there gives Pogba that little bit of freedom to kind of not have to worry about what's going on behind him, and he can just focus on what's in front of him. Which I think was a little bit of something that held him back last season. You know, he always looked better when he had that security blanket behind him at Juventus, and I think that he'll certainly benefit from having Matic there to do to do essentially his grunt work, his dirty work, the work that matters likes doing, and he's good at doing. Um, and it, it frees up Pogba to essentially have those moments where he doesn't track back as much, and he can focus on what's in front of him rather than what's behind him. So it's a clever bit of business, as you'd expect from from Jose Mourinho there. So. Opening day of the season, or opening weekend of the season, I suppose. Uh, a lot of goals. I think it, it shows a. Uh, it shows the Premier League for what it is. It's the most entertaining um, of the big leagues out there, uh, but certainly not the the best in quality, um, without question. And this can lead me into the the sort of the transfer uh, talk that I'll be with. I'll, I'll discuss some. I'll, I'll go through run, my kit rundown at the end of the show. Uh, it brings me to the, the transfer um, thing. Uh, uh, the the crazy sort of fees we're getting at the moment are indicative of what's going on um, in the Premier League at the moment. Is it's not we, Premier League clubs are not buying better players; they're just paying more for the players that they were buying anyway. So a last season a twenty five million pound player is now a forty million pound player, and it's because the Premier League clubs have this this amazing wealth that's been given to them by TV deals and it's allowing them to, to, to spend more and it's why for instance you know ridiculously the most tower at 34 million looks like an absolute bargain now where when you see someone like Mark Ronaldovich going for 25 million it's it, it's crazy uh, and then you look at you know some of the fees that have been paid are just are astronomical the fees that have been banded about uh, and then you have obviously the whole uh, Neymar going for 198 million to, to PSG which of course takes the the transfer record uh, and doubles it and adds some to it uh, and then you've got the fallout from that um, as, as seeing Philip Coutinho had their transfer request at Liverpool uh, and asked essentially to, 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 to leave and be allowed to go and join Barcelona I think it's not I think what's going to be taken there is I don't think Philip Coutinho wants to leave Liverpool. I think he wants to join Barcelona, which of course means to join Barcelona, you have to leave Liverpool. I think that's the team he wants to leave for. Um, it's, it's 
It's quite a strange point. I think that this was a natural thing that was going to happen. I think Philip Coutinho was always going to go and join Barcelona. He's um, lived around the area before. His family enjoy the area. Um, it's obviously it's closer in culture to um, Brazil than England is. And, uh, you know, Philip Coutinho might really enjoy playing at Liverpool. He might, you know, love playing at Liverpool. He might love the city. He might love the club, etc. But I do think that there's um, there's a draw to clubs like Barcelona for the South American players. And it will have probably have been his dream as a kid playing to play for Barcelona. I mean, he's actually, he's outright come out and said that. I think the, the expected thought, and it's been thought within Liverpool circles and even within Barcelona circles, was that... Um, that Barcelona were coming for Philip Coutinho next summer and he would come in and he would replace uh, Andres Iniesta. Of course, the Neymar deal has then created ripple effect, uh, which has reached Merseyside and has caused Philip Coutinho or Barcelona's need to get Philip Coutinho to extend to, to, to this year. Also as well, with the way that transfer fees are going, there's a possibility that Barcelona are looking at it and Barcelona are a huge club and one of the biggest clubs in the world but they don't they don't have the expendable wealth of a club like like a Real Madrid or a Bayern Munich or the top Premier League clubs so they have to be a little bit and always have been a little bit more playing on the the draw and the aura uh, of, of playing for Barcelona to try and encourage players to kind of angle for that move so they can get players that little bit cheaper what's play against that is the fact is that teams know that they've got 198 million windfall from the Neymar deal so immediately the the 90 million that they might have been able to get Coutinho for at the start of July is now 120 million and the the structuring of the deal might have been 90 million might have been right well here's 35 up front and then the rest are going to be delivered over the next five years of the contract uh, and there'll be certain add-ons and things like that now clubs like Liverpool or Borussia Dortmund, where they're trying to get Usman Dembele there. These clubs know that, that Barcelona have this 198 million kitty that they've got there. That it, it, it it's it's cash it was delivered, you know, because it was a it was not technically a transfer, it was a it was a release buyout. They have to be paid all up front. So they've got this money. And so Liverpool quite rightly could be turning around to Barcelona and saying, right, it's it's 120 million, let's say. Let's say no, let's say it's 110 million. But you want 70 of that up front. And then Liverpool could then turn around to Southampton and say, look, we don't we know you don't want to sell as Virgil van Dijk, you prefer to sell anywhere but us. But how about if instead of it being 30 million and then the rest of this 40 million over the next four years or five years of this contract, it's there you go. There's 50 million down payment, you get 50 million, and then the next 20 million is paid over in installments, etc. So there's that. Um, personally, uh, once a player has a transfer request and says they want to go, I think what you have to do is you have to. I don't think you have to let them go. I don't think you have to give them a player power. But as a fan, or even as a, if as a manager, I, I wouldn't want anybody at my club that didn't that, that wanted to be somewhere else. Uh, I'm not saying that I think Philip Coutinho's head will drop or that his performances will dip. It can't. He's still got to play very well because he wants to go play. For Brazil at the World Cup next year, and he wants to. He's cemented his place firmly there, and I think I think actually I think he's vice captain to to Neymar uh, for the Brazil um, team. And so I've already made my prediction that um, that I think Neymar will get sent off in the World Cup um, uh, there because he'll get himself too riled up. Philip Coutinho could at some point be captain. He's you know he's nomination at a World Cup which would be an amazing thing for him so he's not going to down tools he's just not that kind of player but I do think football's careers are are short they, they are in the great scheme of things in terms of their playing careers sorry and I do think that there's an element of now Liverpool are not going to Philip Coutinho isn't going to be the thing that win, finally wins Liverpool their next title. Um, the long-awaited <laughs> next title. The This is our year. Now, I'm not a This is our year Liverpool fan every year. Um, but Philip Coutinho isn't going to be the thing, the, the thing that wins that. Like, uh, for instance, Suarez very nearly was. He's just not that. He's not that good. He's very good. But he's not that good. Um, so... If he's not going to be that, 
I, I, there's an argument to, to let him go. The issue with that is you've got two weeks to replace him, and he wouldn't replace him. The position already needs um, and somebody else there anyway. Now, Liverpool, from what we understand as Liverpool fans, um, have been trying to spend money all summer and have not been able to. So currently they've got 150 million um, burning a fucking hole in the pocket that they can't spend. What's for another 120 million going to do into there? They're not going to spend a quarter of a billion pounds in two weeks. Um, and it, no matter what PR spin you put on it, and no matter who you bring in, it's still going to look like a chaotic transfer window. And it's going to look like a chaotic transfer window. It's going to look like a badly managed transfer window for Liverpool. For the simple fact is, so far, it has been a badly managed transfer window. From what started out very well, and getting Mohamed Salah with his record that he had in Italy. And if anybody there is saying, yes, but that's in Italy... Clearly you've not watched Italian football for the past few fucking years because it's not like the defensive car that it used to be that uh, I grew up with watching uh, football Italian on Channel 4. There's a, it, it, it's a lot more attacking than it used to be. And it's a lot more free-flowing than it used to be. The tactical awareness is still there, but it's been the defensive solidity and the defensive stoicism has been replaced by almost this European free-flowing football um, of the Mediterranean football um, of... Um, basketball rather than um, what was very much a tight rigid um, ball playing football that kind of everything came from the back and everyone played with the low block and you often saw you know strikers would be your top square striker would get 20 goals a season that's the top score of the entire league now you're getting midfielders for instance Salah last season getting 19 goals uh, also insignia at Napoli you know playing as a as a partner striker not quite a midfielder but not quite a striker you know he got 19 goals last season so that there's, there's that to look at Italian football has changed um, quite significantly over the past sort of five years um, since since the since the, the money kind of dried up and it, the, the way that Italian football has changed has changed quite significantly so you've got to look at that. Um, that was good business, but since then the failure to get Van Dijk, the failure to get Kaita, has has left a bit of a cloud on there. Now, if you fail to get both those players and then you lose Coutinho, then it's what the fuck went wrong. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting few weeks um, as a Liverpool fan. Personally, I'd, I'd, I'd like I said I'd let him go, but I'd be asking for at least a player in return and ninety million. So. Ivan Rakitic and 90 million or something like that is what I'd be saying there um, like I said the, the Neymar thing is is crazy I do think that there's I, I think it, it, it's a strange season there was no major um, competition uh, you had the Confederations Cup but it was considered very minor there was no major um, international tournament football being played this summer so everyone came out of it a free for all and it all went a bit crazy. The Premier League money went, made everything go a bit mad, and everyone was kind of itching to spend this money. But if you look at it, it it's it's a group of clubs that have spent a lot of money, and then the, the rest of the teams have not have not really joined that pack, and are kind of looking at it, going, "Well, hang on a minute, is is the market being dictated by the market? If we hold back, maybe the player was using what it was, it what it was before is." If you had a player who was worth 15 million and you waited to the last week of the transfer window, it might cost you 18 to 20 million. This season, a player that should cost you 20 million, if you were to buy them in the third week of July, they might cost you 30 million or 35 million. It's a possibility that, for instance, Ross Barkley took Everton. There's a prime example of Ross Barkley. Now, it would appear Tottenham want Ross Barkley. Everton would like to sell Ross Barkley. Now, Everton would like 50 million. Tottenham don't want to pay more than 25 million for a player who is who is entering the last year of his contract. So, Everton want 50 million. Tottenham want to spend half of that. They're not going to meet in the middle, but what might happen is it might get as it gets further and further and closer and closer. And the Guilfi Sigurdsson's a key thing here. If if Everton get that Gilby Sigurdsson deal over the line, there's no place for Barkley there. They're not going to keep him sat there in his squad winding down his contract because they'd have to play him over Sigurdsson. And then the fans would be saying, what, you spent £50 million on Sigurdsson if you're not even going to play him? They'd have to play him over Sigurdsson for to get him to sign a new contract. 
if they play ugly, he's not going to sign new contracts, he's going to leave for nothing. So Tottenham are kind of playing a game where they're saying, do you know what, we actually, we'd, we'd like him, we want him, we don't need him. So they might go in the last week and go, right, do you know what, here's, here's 25 million, and we'll take him off your hands now. It placates Tottenham fans a little bit because they've signed what is deemed to be hot English property. I think that, personally, I think uh, Ross Barkley is... Is a is a bit flattered to deceive. I, I, I don't I don't see it with him, and it's not just the the pro Liverpool anti top, uh, anti Everton bias. I, I just I don't see it. He's a guy's twenty four years old, and he's he, he's still referred to as a player with promise. You fucking hell, are you kidding me? You should have started to very much fulfil that promise at twenty four years old nowadays. I think Messi won his first Ballon d'Or at twenty four years old. I'm not comparing it to Messi, by the way. Um, so there's, there's that. They will look at that. And if they can't get him for £25 million, they'll say, Do you know what, we'll wait. We don't need him. We just like him. And they might even wait until January. And then it's £12 million in January if he still isn't going to sign a contract. So there's a little bit of that waiting game. I think that teams are looking at that and seeing, not desperate, they're looking to see what they can pick up later towards the end of the transfer window. Um, from Europe or from within the Premier League itself, uh, I still think Oxley Chamberlain could go. I think he's biding his time and seeing, you know, there's the and Arsenal are trying to get a bidding war started between Tottenham, uh, sorry, between Chelsea and Liverpool for his services. He'd like to go. I think he'd like to go somewhere where he doesn't feel like he's the squad utility player, and he's. I think he's looking at it as this is the move that makes his career, and that that's fine. I'd like to see him at Liverpool, but I, but I don't think thirty-five million is, is fair fair play for a player who's not in the last year of his contract. So it could be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, I will do a, a transfer rundown um, if there's a lot that goes on in the next couple of weeks. But obviously, I'll chat more about it next week when we cover uh, next week's games. Well, let's have a wee little look at football kits. Something I've been asked to do to kind of rate and go through the football kits. So I have uh, um, all of them up on picture here, and I'm going to go through them and kind of just give a, a rundown on what I what I think about these kits. So I'm going to start at Arsenal. Um, that's a castle kit. Um, like it, not a big fan of the the weird little collar thing they've got going on. Uh, their away kit is pretty standard Arsenal away kit, but always a little bit not quite there. It looks a little bit like I think it was the Bournemouth or Sunderland away kit from last season. Um, their third kit looks like a training top. Um, Bournemouth home kit, nice, you know, simple black and uh, red stripes with the black um, the. Um, for black arms there quite it's a nice kit uh their away kit looks like a well, it looks like a coventry kit from the mid 90s um so yeah it's it's, it's all right not not a shocking kit perfectly all right kit. Ooh, i bought my third kit for some reason which again uh it looks like a t-shirt there's lots of badge on um just black with toxic green um so cut sleeves um oh brighton have gone for a, uh, a raglan cut on their kit with the stripes, different coloured um, sleeves to the actual stripes. It's a nice enough looking kit. Um, looks quite, looks quite kind of Spanish. Looks quite sort of um, European in, in in that that fold there. Um, and I thought then their away kit's not actually listed on here, so I apologise to Brian for not that away kit. Bournemouth could not have more of a football league looking kit if they tried. To um, not Bournemouth, Burnley. Couldn't have more of a football league looking kit if they tried. Seriously, try acting like a fucking Premier League club. People start taking you seriously as a Premier League club, and that goes the same as your away kit. Um, yeah, I got Chelsea. Chelsea have had decent looking kit for the past few seasons. Just looks like a Nike t shirt. Yeah, not a lot going on there. Um, the away kit is nice, though. The white on the blue is, is nice. Um, very simple kit um, from Crystal Palace. Quite simply, looks like they bought it out of the back of four four two, but their away kit's very nice. Uh, yeah, their away kit's very nice. A black with just like a stripe across the chest um, that has white borders and the uh, the same colour as the the home kit stripes going across it. That's a nice looking away kit. Um, 
yeah, Everton's kit's perfectly fine. Um, so it's a fairly Everton looking kit, to be honest. Uh, and their away kit is just a white version of the same thing. Uh, and their third shirt is uh, it's not too bad looking. Um, the purple and black stripes. Uh, Huddersfield, again, it looks thoroughly football league, um, but I quite like it. It's, you know, there's a, it, it looks it looks like the sort of kit a team would have worn again in the mid nineties. There's, there's there's a lot going on there. I quite like it. Uh, Leicester's is just fairly less looking. It's a, just a blue shirt with a little bit of white on the sleeves. Not a lot going on there. And then they've got the black and gold away kit. Uh, I very much like the Liverpool kit. Um, it's a nice looking shirt. The the sort of the slightly deeper red on there and the big thick kind of collar aping back to. Um, the kits we used to wear in sort of like the early eighties. It's, it's a nice looking kit. Um, not not too much a fan of the 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 away kit. The, the cross thing. It's to celebrate the hundred twenty five year anniversary. And I can get that, but it, it's it's all right. But it's an uninspired looking away kit. And then we have the orange third kit. I love a third kit, and I think that your third kit should be batshit. Your third kit should be fucking stupid. If you have a if you're a football team, you need a third kit. You want to make that third kit look ridiculous. And if it doesn't look ridiculous, you are failing at having a third kit. Uh, and ours looks ridiculous. It's orange. They look like what's it? Brilliant. Uh, Man City, again, very similar to the Everton one in the fact it just looks like a blue t-shirt. Uh, and their away kit looks like a... Uh, it looks like a pinky purple t-shirt there. Uh, my United, I like my United kits, nice looking kit to be honest. My United always have quite nice looking kits though, to be fair to them. With the exception of that one, like a tea towel bed a few years ago, that one looks very nice. Um, but yeah, it's a nice looking kit. Um, classic um, Adidas top, it's a, it's a good looking shirt. Uh, their away shirt looks like a training top. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Newcastle's looks very Newcastle, but again, looks a little bit championship y. Uh, oh, God, that Newcastle third kit. That's like, uh, yeah, third kit. Oh, that's horrible. It's just black, but with like shiny gold um, badges. Yes. Um, Southampton's home kit, uh, nice, nice with the, the full chest piece there and the, the arms going away from the stripes. Uh, it's a nice looking kit, to be honest. I'm quite, quite impressed with that. Um, the away kit's also quite nice as well. Yeah, the, the stripes there. Um, Stoke, have Stoke even changed their kit? I'm not sure. Does Stoke even know if they've changed their kit? Does anyone? Care or no, if they've changed their kit. Um, ooh, that away kit is lovely. It's like a petrol kind of blue with like a strip across the uh, the chest going across there with the stripes, the blue and the, uh, the, the red and the white stripes getting sort of more sporadic going across. That's a really nice kit, actually, that. Um, Swansea uh, look like, looks like, looks. Strange enough for a Welsh team, they look like rugby tops. Um, quite nice actually. Spurs again, I'm not a big fan of these new night shirts that just look like t-shirts with a badge slapped on them. Um, and their away kit, yeah, it's the same. Uh, actually, Watford for a team who wear a yellow kit, it's a good looking kit. Adidas have done a decent job on that. Uh, and their away kit, red looks like a t-shirt. Sorry, what are t-shirts look like a t-shirt? West Brom, not a lot you can do with uh, a team as dull as West Brom. Is what I'm gonna say there. Um, oh, but their away shirt's quite nice. Getting a raglan sleeve um, in red and then the white uh, chest there. It's that's a nice looking kit. Um, again, West Ham doesn't look like they've changed it at all. Uh, and their away kit's dull. Um, yes, bats are there. So that was my kit rundown. Hope people enjoyed that. Uh, actually, I have no questions, which I'm I'm, I'm, I'm hurt, deeply hurt about. So. Uh, you guys um no um that was uh, so that is episode three of damn you football this will become a hopefully uh should be fingers crossed uh, a weekly show um to just run down the events of the the football week uh, so i thank you very much for listening uh i hope you enjoy this show i hope you enjoy the regular free show and remember we've got a patron site now so it's patron slash dude and the monkey um, there's at least four shows a month on there, but there is going to be between sort of four and however many we do, but it isn't at least four shows uh, on there. New shows will be added. Um, we try to get at least one or two out every week, but they are, they come and kind of, we drop them out as and when. We're just kind of getting used to the Patreon thing, so they'll become a more set period, but we don't really want to state we're going to drop one every Monday and then every Friday and then anything like that, because then... 
we've got to fucking do it. Uh, but what we will say is there'll be at least an extra four shows a month for just $3, which we think is an absolute bargain to listen to liquid audio gold like this. Audio liquid, that's strange. I don't know that. Um, but again, thank you much for listening. Um, DudeMonkey.com, at DudeMonkey, at DudeFoz, at Ian Loring. Nothing else to go over, and I shall speak to you later. Thank you very much. Bye.